0: Okay, so as I said, we are continuing the series, The Church I See, uh, this morning, and as I stated the first sermon of the series, and I think it's worth restating, and when I talk about the church I see, uh, I'm not claiming that uh, it's what I see, it's what I contextually see for us at SunWest in this faith community, uh, but what is critical is that it's in line with the church that Jesus envisions, and I think Throughout the series, I trust that you've been able to envision and dream about the church that, that Jesus leads, that He's the head of, and how that contextually looks here in South Calgary. And we, we started by looking at uh, the clip from Apollo 13, when everything is going haywire and, and they needed some kind of uh, point in the distance to make sure that the ship was, uh, was going in the direction that it ought to have been going. And, uh, and so there's a phrase, keep the earth in the window. Uh, and so Tom Hanks led his crew and said, we got to keep the earth in the window. As long as we keep the earth in the window, then we know that we're going in the right direction. And, and I feel, and, uh, and I, I, I hope that you feel the same, that the earth in the window for the church is the great commission and the great commandment. That as long as those things are front and center for us, and that we are seeking the Lord on those things, so the great commandment to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the great commission to make disciples of all nations, which we'll get to in a second again, that these things ought to be our true north. They ought to be the, the thing that aligns us, and we ought to filter every decision we make through the lens of the great commandment and the great commission. And so we use the analogy from Genesis chapter 26 of digging old wells and digging new wells, and Isaac uh, went and redug old wells that his father had dug, and he went and dug new wells in the hopes of finding living water, or as I would read into the text, living water, real water, Uh, because in a desert land, you need water to survive, and so... As we head forward, I believe that there's old wells that we need to redig, things that are part of our SunWest DNA uh, that will continue to be a part of our SunWest DNA into the future. But there's also new things. There's new things I believe that God is doing among us. Uh, and it's not just about going back to the old things, the way things were, but it's also about embracing the new thing that God is doing. Uh, the image that's used in the, in the New Testament, Jesus says that you can't put... Uh, old wine into you can 't put new wine into old wine skins you need new wine skins you need new ways of operating to do to to be a part of the new thing that God is doing so that kind of sets the context for what we 've been talking about and uh We've looked at Matthew 28, 18 to 20, and I'm just going to read this again. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have given all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So it's all about discipleship, it's all about moving people more and more towards Jesus. We've talked about going, we've talked about all nations, and I want to focus in on those words a little bit again this morning. I called this title, the talk this morning, Covenant is Greater Than Contract. And I had at least three working titles for the message, probably more than that, uh, and I, I struggled really, really hard with this one. You can ask Kim. Like she was, Kim was uh, putting together the bowls, and she was like, what is your title? And, and I, I just couldn't make up my mind. And so uh, this is the one I landed on, and, I, and you've heard me talk about covenant and contract lots, and I'm going to talk about that more. Uh, but I also want to include some of the other titles because I felt like they, they were good too. And, uh, <laughs> and so what it was almost until about Thursday at 12 o'clock, and we changed it, was uh, engagement is greater than entertainment. And the reason that I like this title, and it goes back to last week, is that there's been this, this model of church growth that focuses on attractional ministry, that, that, that actually takes the same philosophies around, around business, around consumerism, and applies them to the church and say, if you can actually give a good product, that people will come. And there's nothing wrong with excellence. I mean, there's nothing, like Brooke and Steve were excellent this morning. Amen? Yeah. And so it's cool. You know, you have recording artists that come, they lead worship, and, you know, people want to come and see good stuff, but that is not the essence of what church is. We're not interested in entertain entertaining people to Jesus. In fact, discipleship is about engagement, and sometimes entertainment and engagement are actually opposites. And to make matters worse, worse we meet in a movie theater. <laughs> you come and you sit in this dark place. I can't see any of you. And we got this big screen and I'm, I'm up here saying, you know, it's not, about, it's not about entertainment. And you say, okay, I hear your lips moving, but uh, the means is the message and it's a very real challenge. It's a very real challenge to move against this idea of entertainment towards the idea of discipleship, engaging people uh, in a lifelong authentic relationship to Jesus, with Jesus. So we want to be about engagement. We want to be about commitment. And when we think of engagement, you know, I think of, uh, you know, when somebody gets engaged to get married, it's a, it's a step of commitment, hopefully a step of commitment, not like this guy. <laughs> Sorry, someone said to me, are you sure you want to out yourself that you watched The Bachelor? I, <laughs> to be fair, I, I actually only watched the finale, and uh, that's, that's a full-on honest confession. I did watch the finale. Uh, and I kept just thinking, oh, I'll just watch the show, I'll, you know, I'll just watch the finale. And then, uh, and then I found out it was like a three-hour finale. And like before it went to every commercial break, Steve Harris was like, this is the, the most mind-blowing bachelor in history. You know, you're going to see this unedited, uncut uh, stuff, and it's just, it's going to blow your mind. And I just kept wanting to go to bed. And then either, before every commercial break, he'd say that and I'd be like, ah, oh, I just kept staying and staying. And then three hours later, I'm like, I just wasted three hours of my life. I will never get back. Um, so he couldn't make up his mind. You know, uh, you know, he wanted to get engaged. He got forced into it—not forced into it, but he chose uh, to engage a girl. If he didn't see, if he didn't see it, and then he changed his mind and actually went with the other finalist. Eventually, so spoiler alert. Sorry, uh, <laughs> but we're we're not interested in just entertainment. We're actually interested in engagement. And engagement that means committing commitment. It means covenant. I'm going to come back to the word covenant in a a second. But entertainment is is actually opposed to discipleship. And we talked about this last week with the bounded set versus uh, centered set thinking, uh, that discipleship is not about uh, just getting somebody to behave the right way, uh, to do the right thing, to come to church on a Sunday, to tithe, you know, whatever that thing is. That's not, it's not about that thing. It's about continual movement towards the person of Jesus. That is what it actually means to be a disciple. It means to be Christ-like. In fact, the word Christian was not a word that Christians used to describe themselves. It was a word that people that saw how Jesus lived looked at others that were following Jesus, and, the, and it actually means little Christ. It says, you, you're actually a little Christ. You remind me of how Jesus lived because they emulated Jesus and how they lived. And so this is about becoming more and more and more like Jesus, so imagine these lines or these dots, and our question is are, are, are we, if we are these dots, are we moving towards the cross or away from the cross? Not are we in the in group or the out group. Are we moving towards Jesus? We're not about the, theatrical, attractional discipleship, even though it gets confusing because of our context when you come into a theater and you watch something. If you stay long enough, you can see a movie and eat some popcorn too. So we don't want the means of this to actually be our message. We don't want this to be how we understand what God is doing in us and through us. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 25, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Which part of this called the discipleship sounds like entertainment Which part of this call to discipleship sounds like it lines up with our consumeristic, individualistic culture? When the point of the church becomes to entertain, it's, you know, pastors end up being as helpful as bartenders at an alcoholic anonymous conference. They're actually opposing ideas. So my heart is not, how do I entertain you, or I hope you get entertained, but are you moving towards or away from Jesus? Are you becoming more or less like Jesus? So the word covenant, so covenant is greater than contract. Engagement is greater than entertainment. Entertainment. I talk about this idea of covenant every single Celebration Sunday, and if you've been here for Celebration Sundays, you could probably give my covenant community a little spiel uh, for me. But the idea is that this, that a covenant is a deeper level of commitment than a contract. In a contract, you kind of sign on the line, and as soon as one party breaks the contract, that contract's null and void. You don't need to hold that contract, that commitment, any longer. Covenant is the word that the Bible, Bible uses to describe God's relationship with his people. And you'll notice that throughout the biblical history, the people mess up over and over and over and over again, but yet God still pursues them. God still holds his end of the bargain. God still leaves heaven to come to earth to take the form of a human, to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and be raised to life on the third day again, Because he loves us. This is a covenantal type of love. The Bible calls this type of love agape love. And we see glimpses of this love in our world. We see it in our family relationships. Families, the healthier they are, function in agape love. Marriages, the healthier they are, function in agape love. Your your closest friendships probably echo some of these elements of agape love where you're not just going to leave those relationships when something goes south, but you're going to commit to those relationships regardless of what is happening. And so covenant is greater than contract. God calls us to covenant, not to this contract where, you know, if I get what I want, you get what you want, then, you know, we'll be in relationship together. We've applied, sorry, I'm going to come back to that in a second. I got a video clip for you uh, from... uh, one of my kids' favorite uh, movies, and we went to see it uh, right when it came out because a couple of my kids read this book in, uh, in school, uh, and it's, the, it's from the movie Wonder, and it's actually the, the trailer for it. My name is Augie Pullman. If they stare, let them stare. You're the toughest kid in that school. I know you don't always like it, but I love it. It's my son's face. You are not ugly, Augie. Did you say that because you're my mom? Because I'm your mom, it counts the most. Because I know you the most. We all deserve a standing ovation. At least once in our lives. My friends do. My teachers do. My sister does for always being there for me. My dad does for always making us laugh. And my mom does the most. For never giving up on anything, especially me. You really are a wonder, Augie. So it's such a good movie. If you haven't seen it, I encourage you to see it. We went with our kids and... Uh, uh, You know, four out of five of us were, I think, tearing up in the movie, and then my youngest son, Sal, he just says, I don't get why everybody's so emotional. Uh, (laughs) But but the reason that the movie's so powerful is because it taps into this longing that we have for covenantal agape love. You know, Owen Wilson, the father in the movie, you know, the clip right at the beginning of that trailer says... You know, Augie's complaining uh, because he hates his own face, and he wants to cover his face, and he has this astronaut mask that you saw. And he wears that astronaut mask all the time because he doesn't want people to see his face. And so they're having this conversation um, about seeing his face, and the dad says, I know you don't always like it, but I love it because it's my son's face. And then, uh, you know, the conversation with Julia Roberts there, the mom. She says, you're not ugly, Augie. You just say that because you're... He says, you just say that because you're my mom. And she says, because I'm your mom, it counts the most, because I know you the most. And then at the end, it says, we all deserve a standing ovation at least once in our lives. My friends do, my teachers do, my sister does, for always being there for me. My dad, for always making us laugh. My mom does the most for never giving up on anything, especially me. And so this movie, it's, it, it's moving because it taps into this emotion of this covenantal you know mother to son, father to son, sibling kind of love that I believe we all long for. And when I've talked about covenant in the past, I've often talked about it as individuals as I have been up until this point. We covenant with one another because God has a covenant with us, we covenant with one another as the followers of Jesus that through thick and thin we want to be Jesus to each other as much as we are able to. But there's a fascinating thing throughout scripture and it's this that God not only talks about individuals in this way, but he talks about communities and cities and nations. In the great commission says make disciples of all nations. In the Bible, we don't only see God's heart for the individual, but his heart for nations or what the word is there in the Great Commission is the Greek word ethne, which is different people groups, different communities, different nations, that God has a heart not just for the individual, but for the collective. And I would say over my time at SunWest, we often focus on the individual and that's that's okay. That's part of the gospel message that God loves you as a person. As we talked about last week, regardless of where you've been, God loves you. He pursues you. I know you don't always like it, but I love it. It's my son's face. This is covenantal language. Now, what if we started to think about this type of idea when it comes to communities? In Matthew 23, 37. Jesus says this, "O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messenger, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me." Do you see this parental covenantal type of language that Jesus is giving to the city of Jerusalem? You're not ugly, Jerusalem. Oh, you just say that because you're my heavenly mother or father. No, because I'm your heavenly mother, your heavenly father, it counts the most because I know you the most. Luke 19, Jesus, it says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Jesus has a heart for the collective, for communities, for cities, for nations. And the church I see doesn't just focus on the individual, although it sees the individual, and I think that's a beautiful heritage of what SunWest has always been about. That's one of those old wells that we need to redig and embrace, that every single person God wants a lifelong, eternal relationship with, but we also need to dig a new well and start to understand that God calls us to think collectively of communities, of cities, of nations. And this goes back to the covenant that God made with Abraham. Abraham was going to have many descendants, as many as the stars in the sky. He was going to inherit a physical land, the land of Canaan, and he was going to be blessed to be a blessing to the nations. And I've preached on this passage a few times, but I want to revisit it here in light of the season we're in, in Numbers 13, 25 to 29. So this is the covenant. This is the idea that, you know, That I just said that Abraham had this, uh, God was leading him to a land he didn't know, but eventually God revealed uh, that this land would be the land of Canaan. And generations later, we have Moses leading the people from Egypt uh, in between Egypt and the land that they were going to inherit. And we have Numbers 13, this point where they send spies into the promised land to scope it out. And they come back and give a report. We pick up the story here in Numbers 13. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses. Aaron and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit of what they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in Ajev. And the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. So we see here in Numbers 13 that they go and check out the land, the promised land, the the land of inheritance, and it is a land flowing of milk and honey, but it's also a land that has the Jebusites and the Hittites and the Amalekites in it. And they get scared. They get scared and they want to turn around. They want to go, Some of them want to go back to Egypt. And what I think had happened at this point in the story is they fell in love with the idea that God was going to bring them, his covenant was to bring them to a land flowing with milk and honey. It was going to be luxurious. It was going to be consumeristic. They were going to get a lot out of it. And it's my kind of theory, but I've heard it from other people, so it's maybe not mine, but one that I've pondered for a while, that when push came to shove, consumerism, comfort, milk and honey will not be enough to sustain the covenant people of God. We have to have an imagination and a dream of the mission of God for us. And the Israelite people, they saw the Jebusites and the Hittites and the Amorites and all the otherites, and they got scared. And they said, that doesn't look like milk and honey to me. That looks like battle. That looks like war. And, you know, we just want to go back to Egypt. We'd rather be slaves than embrace the risk of going into that place. And see, God all along did not actually want to bring them into the land because it had milk and honey, but He wanted to bring them into the intersection of mission. And if you look at the Promised Land, you'll realize that all of these nations were all a part of the Promised Land, they all inhabited it. God's people thought they were going to a destination of comfort, but they were going to an intersection of mission. And because they got that mixed up, they actually ran away when it was time to actually t- go into the land. When you think that God calls you to milk and honey, you will run at the first sign of trouble because you'll think that this isn't worth milk and honey. It's not worth it. But when you know that God's called you to eternal purposes, you run towards trouble because you know you're fighting for something bigger than yourself. I believe that God has called his people not to only love individuals, but to love communities, to love places and spaces, and to actually move in. And this is... uh, the word, I'm going to focus here on the word paroikos. Can you guys say that word with me? Paroikos. It's not an English word in case you didn't pick that up there. Um, it is a Greek word. And this Greek word finds itself in the story of the Israelites moving into the land of Canaan. And so, I don't know if you care about this nerdy stuff, but just just stick with me for a second, okay? Uh, uh, When this portion of Scripture was written, it was written in Hebrew, but the early church spoke Greek, and so there was a Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. You guys following me so far? Uh, So you can find out how the early church understood the story of God based on how they translated words in the Greek language into the Old Testament and into the New Testament, and so this Greek word shows up in, this, in, this, in the accounts of uh, the Israelites being in the land of Canaan. And this is what the word means. You'll see it here in Genesis 23. When Sarah was 127 years old, she died at Keriath- Arba, now called Hebron, in the land of Canaan. There Abraham mourned and wept for her. Then leaving her body, he said to the Hittite elders, Here I am, a stranger and foreigner among you. So that word stranger is the word pyroikos. And what this word means is resident alien. Come on, that's awesome. <laughs> My kids would love that. Resident alien. You are taking up residence, but you are a foreigner. So this was, this was used when the Israelites actually... Came into the land and they, they allowed other nations to stay with them. They use this word in, in, uh, in describing them. These people are residents, aliens living among us. It's also used to describe the Israelites moving into land that was not yet theirs. Resident aliens. But it's interesting because the Greek, it's a compound word. The first part of it is para, which means with, alongside. And the second part of the word is oikos, which means household, extended family. And you put them together and it together means resident alien. Interesting. Why am I telling you this? Because there's a church concept that I believe we need to rediscover called the idea of a parish. And what is where does the word parish come from? How, how many of you guys have heard of the idea of a parish before? Okay. So if you if you're from an Anglican background, a Catholic background, uh, you know, some more high church uh you know background you will be familiar with this word the idea of a parish it's actually the english word of this and the idea of a parish is that a church has a community it's adopted a community it's living as a resident alien in a community it's with alongside of other people as a and it in the word oikos refers to the extended family or community of, you know, of a family. And so we as an extended family, we as brothers and sisters, God's family, come alongside of a community and we take up residence and the word alien began to be described over time. So if you look at the writings in the first century, you'll see that this word paroikos is used to describe the local church. So you have Ecclesia, which talks about the whole global church, but then you have the word paroikos, <clears throat> which talks about the local church as taking up residence in a local community. You guys follow me? That wasn't very convincing. I, uh, get into the Greek and uh, if your partner or the person beside you is sleeping, just give them an elbow for me. Um, So I believe that this idea of parish is is just a part of God's covenantal picture and dream. It's part of what God sees when he looks at his church and he doesn't see. And here's the cool thing is that the people originally thought this idea of alien meant Or over, over time in the church history, it started to become that God was going to, we were aliens here on earth and God was going to take us to space when we die uh, to go to heaven. But what it actually means is we begin as aliens. So if you go back to the Israelite history, they were aliens kind of coming into a country, but it was their inheritance and God was going to give it to them. God was not going to take it from them or take them out of it, that he was actually moving in. And we see this in the incarnation. We talked about this with Jesus. Jesus came from heaven to earth. He took on flesh. He made his home among us. He moved into the neighborhood. He was a resident alien in his physical body. Come on, that's cool. The incarnation. Jesus is an alien. Uh, this this sermon could get quoted in so many wrong directions here. Um, please get the spirit of what I'm saying, not to... Uh, You know what I'm saying. Uh, Revelation, it says this, that the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord. For too long in church history, we've talked about God having an alien group of people that really had no foot on the ground, no presence in the community, and it was okay because someday he was going to take us all the way to heaven. But the biblical idea, as you've heard me preach over and over again, is that heaven actually comes to earth. The kingdom of heaven comes to earth. That we are aliens, we're we're actually citizens of the kingdom of heaven, but guess what, we're moving in. And this world is God's inheritance. This world, all the way from the Genesis, and we see this in Revelation, that God created the world to be his temple, that he was going to dwell fully in the world that he created. He calls his people to be a foretaste of the kingdom of heaven today. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord. So if you haven't figured out where I'm going yet, let me make it clear for you. My third title, (laughs) permanence is greater than portability. Because we believe that God's moving in and he's here to stay. And I think for a long time, we had some of us, we felt like, you know, our, our vision and our mission was just to be portable. Like it, we were going to be the Israelites and we were going to have a, you know, set up camp every night and, and uh, kind of just be this portable church. And we were for a really, really long time. But the, like the Israelites, I believe that God has always wanted us to put our roots down, put our feet on the ground and to say, you know what? I don't just love individuals. I'm actually choosing to love a community. That... I'm suggesting we adopt this parish mindset that adopts a community. And when the great commandment says to go and make disciples, as I've talked about, it says in your going, which basically is saying wherever you are. And so perhaps going and making disciples means committing to stay, committing to be present, committing to be permanent. Wherever you are, be missional where you are. Make disciples where you are. <clears throat> and where are we? Where have we been? Over 20 years ago, we planted a church in South Calgary. Willie did. And, it, and you hear me going back to our roots and going back to Willie and Gwen. And it's important because where we've been sets the DNA for who we are. And so we, I, I believe that we need to start thinking about what it means to be permanent, what it means to be present, what it means to be incarnational, what it means not just to, to float around, but to actually invest. To be more like Owen Wilson and less like Ari. No? Okay, that didn't work. To be clear, not to be uncommittal, but to look at a community and say, you know, you're our Jerusalem. You are this place that we weep over that we pray for that we want to invest in that we want to pour energy into and over 20 years ago that was in Mindapore. that was in Midsun Community Center we were the bagel church and we grew and there was people that were coming to know Jesus and then we moved to Centennial High School yep, yep. That's where Brent, uh, that were, that's where Brent uh, is a teacher, the new uh, athletic director, actually. Uh, yeah, he can give Brent a hand, the new athletic director. Yeah, big deal. <laughs> Centennial High School actually just won the uh, city uh, finals yesterday in the uh, women's Div 1, senior and junior, and the guys Div 2 in senior and senior junior. Four, four teams came home with trophies yesterday. Um, anyways, so we moved to Centennial High School. Actually, you, th- you think that the point I just made doesn't matter, but, but it does matter. No, I- I'm serious. It does matter. Not the fact that Centennial won, uh, and I'm an assistant coach of one of those teams. Uh. <laughs> yeah. but, but, he- but here's why it matters, is because I'm an assistant coach at a high school. I'm an assistant coach at a high school. Why? Because I'm investing my time in a community, and I'm saying... I love you. I love you. I'm not leaving you. And I'm going to stay. Allie's the name of my barista that every Sunday morning she makes me my coffee before I come to church. And I sit there and I, I review my sermon notes and I drink my coffee. And Allie's my barista. Lynn, Lynn runs Faux So across from the office. And Lynn's Lynn's awesome, but Lynn gets one day off a year, 364 days a year she works, but the only day she takes off is Sunday. Suk is my buddy, and he runs the Freshie in Sundance. Suk's awesome. He wears those raptor hats that I love, but when I try and talk raptors to him, he doesn't actually like basketball, he just likes the way the hat looks. And I said, well, you really got to get into basketball. (laughs) And why are these things important? Because these are people that are in the community that I live and work with all day long and I believe that they're representative of a community that God is calling us to invest and commit to and say we're not just going to be portable, we're not just going to commit for a little while, this isn't just a contract we actually want a covenant with you and so when, I, when we think about the church building in Mindapur I know there's lots of people that are asking logistical questions and you will get your answers, believe me And I think you will be surprised at, logistically, how much of a no-brainer it is. And I could stand up here and and try and convince you that, you know, we spend $17,000 a month on rent between the office and this theater, and that's a crazy amount of money to spend in rent. I mean, that might be a reason in and of itself just to consider moving, just a thought. But I don't want logistics or milk and honey or any of that to be the reason that we would actually purchase a facility or put our roots down somewhere. God is calling us to an intersection of mission, not a place of milk and honey. Permanence is greater than portability. I believe covenant is greater than contract. And engagement is greater than entertainment. And I do believe that moving back into our roots, back into where it started over 20 years ago with Willie and Gwen, is a movement towards engagement, is a movement towards permanence, is a movement towards covenanting, not with just people, but with the community and investing in that place in Minneapolis Sundance. And I see a church that's not afraid of commitment. It's not afraid of covenant. It's not afraid of permanence. And this isn't even a new thing. You know, we've been wrestling and praying over this for years. And I know it feels new because we've just been talking about it this year. But we've been trying to find a home base, a place to set our feet in for a long time. And uh, actually, just a little while ago, we had the opportunity before all this kind of came up to move into a different rental facility, uh, more west, and I was meeting with the ministry team. I said, this is a great opportunity. This rental is opening up. And I, I've already talked to them and we were kind of the first ones to get our foot in the door. And we could actually move over there if we wanted to. And I was excited about it, and our ministry team was just like, Oh no. I was like, what? They're like, we don't want to move away from inappor sundance. I was like, really? But this is a great no, no, we we actually feel called to stay where we started. And so I went to the Midsun Community Center and I said, you know, would you guys consider having us come back and rent here? We used to rent here. We'd love to be back in this community. And they said, no, we don't rent to religious groups anymore. And so that kind of fell flat. And so we just began wrestling and praying for how would God actually have us come back into Minneapolis? And then this opportunity came up. And I would like to call you to engage in this opportunity, because if we're going to move it into a community and we're going to make it a missional thing, it becomes like an all-in as a community type of decision. And we are, in the coming weeks, as we get into the details, we're going to call you to sacrifice and to give towards this. And even before we get to that point, I, I believe that we need to start praying and asking God as individuals, as families, uh, Lord, what are you calling me to give? Are you calling me to give? If, are you calling us to make a permanent home in Minneapore? And ask God what that might look like. And just to give a couple of, you know, we're going to leave the town hall for the logistics, but, you know, we're looking probably at a two year kind of pledge period. So just as a a thing to ponder and pray about, you know, over the next two years, Lord, is there something that you're, is there an amount that you're calling me to sacrificially give over the next two years so that we can go from being this church that's portable, that puts on this thing once a week to being a church that is intentionally investing 24-7 into community. So I do see a church that's not afraid of commitment, isn't afraid of covenant, is not afraid of permanence. It's not afraid of the blessings of God. I see a church that won't be tempted by milk and honey because we recognize that we're blessed in order to be a blessing. And blessings is okay and we don't need to be afraid of it. The church I see understands that going might mean just staying with intentionality. The church I see sees itself in the intersection of mission. It is a parish. It invests in the lives of business people and schools and communities because the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of God our Lord. It's a church of resident aliens. I see a church that makes its home in a community like Jesus made his home among us. I see a church that understands that citizenship is in heaven, but that God's plan is to bring heaven to earth. And I do see a church in Minneapolis and Sundance. And I will be unapologetic about that. I see a church that is awakening to what God planted 23 years ago in Midsun Community Center that is still bearing fruit today. This is the church I see. will don't you stand with me as Brooke and Steve lead us in worship. And I'm just going to pray. They're going to lead us in a song called Cornerstone. I didn't know they were singing this song, but it's, what a perfect song. Uh, that, As we talk about building a physical building in a physical space, that Jesus is our ultimate cornerstone. That whatever we are building, uh, that is it is about Jesus. It's about the mission of Jesus. What, it, what Jesus wants to do in Mindapur and Sundance and what he's calling us to do in partnership with him. So Jesus, we thank you that you are our cornerstone. As Peter says in First Peter, he calls you this rock, this divisive rock, because you actually call people to something. You call people to sacrificial living, to discipleship, to the way of denying yourself and, and pursuing you, Jesus. And some people aren't willing to take that step. And so Peter refers to you as this divisive rock. But you are the rock which we choose, Father. You, you are the rock in which we, we build our house, we build our future. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the hope of resurrection. We thank you that you are not coming to take us away, but you are coming to make your home in us and among us. And we believe that the kingdom of this world will be the kingdom of our Lord. Regardless of what is swirling around in the news, in our nation, in this world, Lord, we claim that this is your sacred space. It's what you always intended. And we just say yes to that, Lord. And we pray that we would be a foreshadow and a foretaste of what, of that, coming kingdom, that kingdom of heaven on earth, that we would be a foretaste of that today where you have us. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I be honest with you? It's not that I haven't been honest up until this point. <laughs> uh, as, a, as a pastor, it has been a, it's been a difficult season. Uh, not because it's, it hasn't been exciting, it's been very exciting. Um, it's been difficult because there's a range of emotions in our body that have processed, um, you know, the letting go of a lead pastor, the vision of what we thought was multi-campus, and now that's changing, uh, the building piece. And, uh, you know, these are significant things. And I think in the midst of that... um, I've been afraid to offend uh, because I want to be gracious about where everybody is at and how everybody is processing, uh, how we feel differently about different things going on, uh, and it's been it's been difficult to lead with hope and expectation and clarity in the midst of a season like this. Does that make sense? Um, and so, part of my resolution coming into this series is. I want to unapologetically paint a picture of the future that I believe that God's calling us to. And I, and I, don't, I don't do that in a way that dismisses any processing that um, you might be going through. Uh, and so please know that. Please know my heart in that. Um, but I believe that God's calling us into a new season, uh, into a new day. Uh, and it's not a new day that ignores our past, it embraces the highs and the lows and the warts and the beauty of our past. And there's going to be warts and there's going to be beauty in our future. Um, but we need to look forward. And, and so I, I hope uh, that you will continue to give me permission to be hopeful and expectant and faith-filled as we talk about the future that God's calling us to. Um, and if there's things that have gone on this past year that you're still processing... I know our leadership team is available. I'm, I'm available. Uh, I'd love to continue those conversations that process with you. Um, but corporately, we are going to begin to and continue to dream about the future together. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, there's going to be prayer teams available at the front. If you want prayer for anything. Yeah. Uh, if, if you want prayer for anything, um, please come. We'd love to pray for you. Uh, pray for family members. Uh, pray for uh, if, you, if there's yeah anything going on in your lives, in your workplace, in your family. If you need healing for anything. If you um, you know what? If you if you want to develop a heart for the community that God's calling us into. I, I had a missions prof when I was in Bible college, um, and he. And he's been all over the world, but, but he said that if you want to develop a heart for a people, for a community, for a city, for a nation, and you don't have one, just start praying for one. And so, you know, when you look at that clip of like Owen Wilson talking to a son or Julie Roberts talking to her, their son, Augie, and, and, and you don't feel that for a community, I, I would say start praying for a community like that. And I, and I would encourage you for, with Minnipur and Sundance, start praying for Minnipur and Sundance. Start praying for Midsun Junior High and Centennial High School and the businesses there. You know, I, I know that the owner of Tim Hortons in Minneport really needs some prayer support. Uh, <laughs> sorry, that was an inside joke. The owner of Tim Hortons in Minneport goes to our church. So that's uh, how I said that. Um, but start praying for that community. And I believe that God's going to raise this agape love in our hearts for that community. So let me pray to close. Father, we just thank you again that you are a rock, that you are a cornerstone. And Lord, we thank you for the way that you have sustained us in this year, sustained us over the, these 23 years. Uh, Lord, in our portableness, uh, Lord, we have learned that a church building, is, a church body is not about a building. And Lord, we thank you for that lesson. And we pray that we, as we pursue a building, would not forget that lesson. It is not about a building, it's not about milk and honey, Lord, but it's about the missional intersection that you are calling us to be a part of 24-7 and that you would begin to prepare our hearts for what it's going to mean to follow you in that new day. So, Lord, we look forward with expectancy, with faith, and we thank you always for your grace and ask that you continue to lead us in Jesus' name. Amen.